you take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, April 12th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 922, and coming up on today's show, in the news, Guam's governor drops his support for his own legalization bill, citing the threat of Jeff Sessions as attorney general. In our cannabis focus, the new Trump drug czar voted against marijuana amendments in Congress. We'll tell you which ones. In drug war data mining, I answer the question whether people are moving for legal weed. In our cannabis community chat, we replay my conversation with Dr. Jordan Tischler about the importance of cannabis strains. And in the radical rant, I take a look at things in Idaho that are less harmful than marijuana. Then in hour two, we take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ and take a deeper look at the wide world of weed. But now, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, April 12, 2017. Governor Eddie Calvo on Tuesday suspended his support for his own bill to legalize marijuana on the island of Guam from moving forward in the Guam legislature. Citing the potential crackdown on marijuana by President Donald Trump's administration, Eric Palacios, representing the governor's office, told lawmakers Calvo is suspending his push for further action on the measure he sent to the legislature earlier this year. Speaker Benjamin Cruz, chairman to the Committee on Adjudication, was absent from Tuesday's public hearing, but in a prepared written statement, Vice Chairman Senator Frank Arguon Jr. read, Cruz, too, had been concerned with the White House's statements and had sought Calvo's input for weeks. During a speech before a police chief's conference, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions mentioned that a Justice Department task force will reconsider marijuana enforcement policy, saying he, quote, looks forward to acting on their recommendations, end quote. Remarking on immigration policy, Sessions said, quote, We will deploy a multifaceted approach in these efforts. We are going to interdict your drugs on the way in, your money on the way out, and investigate and prosecute your trafficking networks to the fullest extent of the law, end quote. Sessions also revealed that he and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey discussed marijuana at the White House and said he was surprised by the negative public reaction to his remarks that America would not be, quote, a better place if they sell marijuana at every corner grocery store, end quote. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has on his desk legislation to make it easier for people to expunge marijuana convictions from their records. Under current law, anyone convicted of cannabis possession must wait 10 years to apply for expungement. SB 949 would reduce that waiting period to four years, which will also help address the lack of clarity in the law around expunging convictions that occurred prior to decriminalization. Meanwhile, unfortunately, a compromise bill that would have increased diversity in the medical cannabis industry, HB 1443, failed to pass in the midst of confusion in the final moments before the session adjourned. 
The leader of the Vermont Senate says a bill to legalize marijuana is moving so slowly and has generated so much disagreement among lawmakers that passage this year would take, quote, a miracle, end quote. Senate President Pro Temper Tim Ash said the Senate wants to have a long negotiation with the House of Representatives and Governor Phil Scott's administration about the best way to legalize marijuana. The House has chosen a simple legalization bill that is unlikely to fly in the Senate, where lawmakers prefer a taxed and regulated marijuana market. That long negotiation would be nearly impossible this year. The marijuana legalization bill is still being tweaked in the House weeks after the Senate anticipated receiving it. If a bill passed out of the House this week, the Senate would have almost no time to discuss the issue before their committees shut down for the year. The Hawaii Senate approved legislation to add lupus, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, and autism as medical cannabis qualifying conditions. The bill also amends the definition of adequate supply of marijuana to include seven marijuana seedlings and authorizes primary caregivers to cultivate marijuana for qualifying patients until December 31st, 2020. The bill must be reconciled with the House version before it is sent to Hawaii's governor. The Colorado Senate passed a bill Wednesday to allow pot growers and retailers to reclassify recreational pot as medical marijuana in the event of a federal crackdown. The bill passed by Colorado's Republican-controlled Senate and sent to the Democratic-led House would allow the state's roughly 500 licensed recreational marijuana growers to reclassify their product, quote, based on a business need due to a change in local, state, or federal law or enforcement policy, end quote. But opponents say any such move would be costly. Colorado would lose more than $100 million a year because it taxes recreational pot much more than medical pot, nearly 18% versus 3%. The Colombian government finally issued a decree through the Ministry of Health which regulates the production of medical marijuana after the law that legalized this economic activity was approved in Congress on May 25, 2016. The law required regulation by Congress that finally came 11 months after the law approving the use of marijuana for medical purposes was passed. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, April 12, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. I wish my tire had blown out that night. I wish my car had skidded off the road. I wish I'd broken my neck. I wish I'd been crippled, but I didn't crash. I drove to that party and I did meth for the first time. I did meth and now this is my life. This is my life. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day exclusively on RadicalRust.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share.
Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Our friend Tom Angel out at the Marijuana Moment newsletter broke the story yesterday about the new drug czar being selected by President Trump. It appears that Congressman Tom Marino, a Republican from Pennsylvania, will be the new drug czar, uh, more formerly known as the uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy, the director of the ONDCP. CBS News reported this yesterday, and there's a great post up on MassRoots.com now that Tom Angel's put up entitled New Trump Drug Czar Voted Against Marijuana Amendments in Congress. Check out MassRoots.com for that. And uh, Tom just does a great job here of breaking down the congressman, the former congressman, or soon to be former congressman's votes concerning marijuana in the U.S. Congress. As a member of Congress since 2011, Marino, the new drug czar designate, has consistently voted against marijuana law reform. Consistently. Three times he has voted against the Rohrabacher Farr Amendment, or Hinchy Rohrabacher, or what will now be known as Rohrabacher Blumenauer. This is basically the spending amendment, the appropriations amendment, that forbids the Department of Justice from spending any taxpayer money from prosecuting for prosecuting any of the legal operators in medical marijuana states. If they're operating in accordance with state law, the federal government can't spend so much as the money for a postage stamp to send a letter to interfere in any way with the legal operations of those state medical marijuana programs. He voted three times against that. He voted three times that the federal government should be able to shut down state legal medical marijuana providers. There's another amendment, the McClintock-Polis Amendment, which should be coming up again. This is a broader amendment that would protect not just the medical marijuana states, but all state marijuana laws. And, of course, he voted against that, too. If he's not going to support non-interference in medical, you know he's not going to support non-interference in recreational. He's also voted three times against amendments that would allow U.S. military veterans to receive medical cannabis recommendations through their VA doctors. Now, this is not uh, anything that's legalizing medical marijuana at the federal level. It's not anything that says all veterans can get medical marijuana. It only says that if a veteran's living in a state that has legalized medical marijuana, his VA doctor, his or her VA doctor, can recommend medical cannabis. And this is not the case now, and uh, Marino has voted three times against that. Now, these doctors, of course, can prescribe them all sorts of oxycodone, hydrocodone, even fentanyl, but uh, cannot recommend medical cannabis. And this is problematic for our veterans because so many of them rely on their VA doctor. They don't have the kind of funds to hire their own private doctors or go to some of these medical marijuana clinics, so... Voting against that amendment basically is voting against veterans being able to access medical marijuana. 
There was even a measure that was put up by a fellow Pennsylvania Republican to protect the the states that have CBD laws, and he voted against that. The new drug czar designate voted against protecting states that have CBD oil laws, non-psychoactive cannabidiol. It's not surprising. I mean, the guy is a former state and federal prosecutor prior to joining the Congress in 2011. So he's got that tough on drugs, tough on crime approach that will fit so well in the Trump administration. He's even the kind of guy, he's, he's one of these guys that comes at you with the uh, kinder, gentler drug war. The, oh, we have such compassion for the people who are dependent. Oh, we don't really want to lock them up. Except he does want to lock us up in hospitals against our will. This was some testimony that uh, Representative Marino delivered last year before the House Ways and Means Committee. He said, quote, one treatment option I have advocated for years would be placing non-dealer, non-violent drug abusers in a secured hospital-type setting under the constant care of health professionals. Once the person agrees to plead guilty to possession, he or she will be placed in an intensive treatment program until experts determine that they should be released under intense supervision. If this is accomplished, then the charges are dropped against that person. The charges are only filed to have an incentive for that person to enter the hospital slash prison, if you want to call it, end quote. And you got to love the, uh, the mindset of someone who thinks drugs are so bad that the only way we could possibly coerce someone to get into a drug treatment program to deal with this terribly addictive drug that's destroying their lives, the only way we can do that is to threaten to destroy their lives more. <laughs> we have to threaten them with the loss of their freedom. We have to threaten them with incarceration or else they would never seek help for their drug use. And what was the only problem with their drug use that led to them possibly being forced into hospitalization? The fact that they were caught with drugs. That itself is the problem. When these guys say we want to help people with not, you know, nonviolent drug abusers, they don't mean drug abusers, you know, people who are abusing drugs, people who are having a bad relationship with their substance of choice, who are causing problems for themselves, their families, and others. No, they mean drug consumers. They mean anybody who's consuming any drug. To them, there is no use. There is just abuse. And this guy believes if we catch you using drugs, we got to lock you in a hospital slash prison until experts determine that you're okay to leave. And then once you leave, we're going to put you under intense supervision, which of course means supervised piss tests and probation and such. Just for getting caught, not because you did something bad while you were under the influence of drugs, just because we caught you. Now, if that doesn't boil your blood right there, let me add a little hypocrisy to the mix. Because you know we're talking about an anti-pot Republican. There's got to be some hypocrisy in the mix, right? Last year, he told the Williamsport Sun-Gazette, quote, I'm a states' rights guy. The less federal government in my life, the best. I think it's a states' rights issue. If Pennsylvania passes it and I don't like it, I can pick up and move. 
end quote. And that's when he was talking about Pennsylvania passing its pharmaceuticalized cannabinoids law that allows you to go to a store and pick up an extract, a non-smokable extract of cannabinoids. If you've not been listening for a while, I don't call states that don't allow you to have actual marijuana in your hand. I don't call them medical marijuana states because they're not. Marino also said, quote, if it does help people one way or another, then produce it in pill form. You can't smoke it for this, but you can take a pill. But don't make an excuse because you want to smoke marijuana. Looks what, look what's happening to states and cities who are legalizing it. They are running into a lot of problems. End quote. Okay, first of all, I'd like to know where uh, Representative Marino uh, graduated with his medical degree. So we can understand why he uh, thinks that patients should have to take things in pill forms. I have an idea, uh, Representative Marino. Let's talk to some asthmatics. You know, somebody who's having trouble breathing, whose airways are closing. And let's make them take a pill to deal with that. Oh, wait, no. They'd die if we did that, right? Because instead, they have an inhaler. They have an inhaler that they nebulize, they vaporize, atomize, aerosolize, whatever you want to call it, the medicine, so they can get into their lungs for rapid absorption and immediate effect. This is one of the most frustrating things about trying to get the concept of medical cannabis through to some of these opponents who see smoking as this evil. And, you know, Lord knows we've helped them with demonizing tobacco smoke, but they see smoking as just an inherent evil. And don't recognize that there are plenty of drugs that we have that are inhaled, these inhaled steroids for asthmatics, for example. And the reason why inhalation is such a beneficial mode of drug delivery is because of its immediate effect. The patient who's suffering from chemotherapy-induced nausea is not going to be able to swallow a pill and keep it down, Representative Marino. And even if that person could... It's going to take 30 minutes to 45 minutes before they feel any effect from it because it takes a while to digest. And then 45 minutes later, after they've been puking for 45 minutes or so, maybe it's not enough. They have to take another pill and wait again. Just because you have this prejudice against smoking, you are willing to deny to Pennsylvanians and Americans in general one of the most effective, cheap, and easy ways for people to gain the medical benefit of cannabinoids for a variety of conditions, syndromes, and symptoms. It's just flat bigotry that you want to eliminate smoking as a method. Now, of course, uh, Marino still has to be formally announced as the drug czar designate. And if he is designated, he will have to go through the confirmation process through the U.S. Senate. It's probably uh, pretty likely that he'll be confirmed as our next drug czar. And I guess it's good news that we didn't end up with drug czar Chris Christie or drug czar Rudy Giuliani. But from what Tom Angel has written up here in MassRoots.com on his piece, New Trump Drug Czar Voted Against Marijuana Amendments in Congress, it seems to me they got a simulacrum of those gentlemen. They gave us someone who's just nearly the same as either one of them. Someone who hates Medical marijuana hates recreational marijuana and understands nothing about the science or medicine of what we're discussing.
Get your own medicinal marijuana cards. All right, that sound means it's 20 after, and that means it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420 to our friends in the Rocky Mountains. It's time for our union-mandated safety briefing. we got to take a break and just see how safe this will make us. When we return, some drug war data mining. Are people moving to the legal marijuana states specifically for weed? We'll tell you how many when we come back. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belleville Show and 420 Radio. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we got an interesting little bit of data coming to us by way of a press release I got from a website called Move Buddha. Yeah, Move Buddha, like the Buddha. You know, B-U-D-D-H-A. So you can find this at movebuddha.com. And it's a site that's generally for people that are looking to move. You know, it's got tips for moving. It's got a, a little online interactive calculator for calculating your moving costs. It's got city guides to the different cities you want to move to and so forth. But it also has a blog. And on its blog today, Ryan Kerrigan wrote this piece. Are people moving to states where marijuana is legal? Now, anecdotally, I can tell you, hell yeah, they are. I know so many people who have come to Oregon on what we call the Undergreen Railroad, where medical refugees and even people who just want to smoke pot recreationally are escaping their red states and immigrating to the green states, to Colorado, to the West Coast, and now we presume Massachusetts and Maine, since they've legalized as well. Uh, I can count at least... 16 people that I know or have helped move to Oregon from red states so that they can pursue their uh, medical cannabis uh, regimen. Of course, there's the famous uh, Alexis Bortel in Texas, the uh, young, well, now 10-year-old Texas girl who's been over 600 days seizure-free since leaving Texas and going to Colorado where she can get CBD oil. So there's no doubt to me that people are leaving their more prohibition states and moving to the legal states, but Ryan Kerrigan writes this piece where 
some uh, friends of him are asking if people are moving to places like Colorado or Oregon for legal weed and actually came to some statistical figures or at least some survey figures. I don't know how scientific they are, but the uh, 1,500 inbound moves that they tracked, people coming to states, specifically the eight states where recreational pot is legal, Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, and Alaska. According to MoveBuddha.com, nearly 5% of people mentioned legal marijuana while discussing their move. So out of 1,500, you know, 10% would be 150, 5% would be, what, 75? So at least 70, 75 people out of the 1,500 they surveyed said that legal marijuana was the reason why they moved. Now, this is interesting about this because the people at movebooted.com don't ask that. That's not part of their standard procedure to ask people, why are you moving or, or is marijuana the reason you're moving? That's not part of their discovery call because according to the author here, that information doesn't really help us plan a customer's move. Right. They want to know more about, you know, the the school. Do you have kids in school? What are the school districts like? What are your tax burdens and so forth? So he writes, quote, the fact that nearly five percent of people unprompted mentioned weed is astounding. It really begs the question, if we had asked about pot, how much higher would that percent be? And no, we aren't going to start asking. Oh, (laughs) start asking, Move Buddha. Come on, we want to know. He also mentioned that the typical age of the people who mentioned moving for marijuana, they were either between the ages of 25 and 30, or they were over the ages of 65. According to this report, nobody aged 30 to 65 mentioned marijuana as a reason for their move. Now, his theory is that the younger people are more comfortable with it. They don't mind mentioning it. And perhaps I would suggest that the young people uh, are moving for college or coming out of college. And maybe that had a large part of their decision. That was a large part of their decision why they went to a particular college. I know from speaking to players, you know, football players, basketball players at the University of Oregon, That was a huge part of their decision uh, in picking the University of Oregon over, say, University of uh, Utah or University of uh, Nebraska or whatever. They also point out that the older people, I would point out that the older folks moving are often looking for places to retire. And so these retirees are wanting to, you know, return to a lifestyle that they may have enjoyed in the past that they gave up during their child rearing years, during their career years. But now that they've retired, they want to find someplace friendly. They want to go someplace where they can smoke weed and not have to worry about it. It'll be really interesting to see how this affects the, uh, the, the so-called snowbird phenomenon. Uh, of course it's well known that we have a lot of retirees that go to Arizona or go to Florida, uh, to retire, you know, East coast versus West coast, for example. But now that, Arizona's rejected legalization and California's embraced it. Will more of those retirees choose California over Arizona? Now that Florida has moved forward with a medical marijuana program, how will that affect or or increase the influx of seniors moving there? It's all things I 
I'm very interested in knowing more about. I'm glad that Move Buddha has put this information out there, but I think we need a more dedicated survey for this kind of information. I, I, I'm going to look around and see if there's any organizations or any statistical uh, uh, plots on this that are keeping track of who's moving and why. I'd like to know. Maybe some of the, the trucking companies, you know, like the Allied Van Lines or a Mayflower or somebody. Well, I'll let you know if I find anything out, but uh, what we know so far, about one out of 20 people that are moving are moving for legal weed. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to replay my interview with Dr. Jordan Tischler, MD, on the importance of cannabis strains, and then after that, time for a radical rant on things less harmful than marijuana in the state of Idaho. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. And it's the first time in two years, or the first time in a year and a half, that I had a decent night's sleep because the arthritis pain was gone. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. What is your major malfunction, numbnuts? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. have been using cannabis for medicinal purposes for over 5,000 years, medical science is only beginning to unlock the secrets of the endocannabinoid system and the promise of cannabinoid medicines. Join us now for the latest cannabinoid medicine update. Welcome back, everybody. And today in our cannabinoid medicine update, we're speaking with Dr. Jordan Tischler, MD. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great Give to be our, here. Thank you so much. Give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself. Uh, what is your specialty and, and what company are you working with? Ah, um, so uh, I started out uh, going to Harvard Medical School a million years ago and um, trained in internal medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is one of the major hospitals here in the Boston area. Um, and I've spent the last 15 years as an emergency physician for the VA. And then after that, or sort of uh, in conjunction with that, then I um, started my own cannabis practice, uh, which I now have several clinics. And uh, that's called Inhale MD. Uh, if anyone wants to look at our website, they can go to inhalemd.com. We've got hundreds of articles on various subjects relating to cannabis medicine, 
there for people to uh, to learn from. It's an excellent background, and I applaud the work that you're doing out there on the East Coast, where medical marijuana is a little bit of a different uh, different. Uh, issue than it is out here on the west coast where we've had it for a longer period of time could you give our listeners a, a little look at what it's like in massachusetts dealing with the bureaucracy dealing with your medical marijuana program there as a specialist yeah you know i think that um there are a number of things that we in massachusetts have really done very well and then there are a number of things where it's kind of um been more difficult um you know our law i think is a is wonderful and 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 really in many ways uh, I think could set a tone for the national way of looking at it. You know because one of the things that we've done is we've got a list of eight conditions, but those conditions are not it. Those conditions really um, basically are there as examples because following the the list of conditions in the law uh, is a statement and any other conditions that are severe and debilitating as, you know, deemed by the licensed physician. I didn't get the wording quite right there, but, um, you know, the gist of that is that lets us actually practice medicine, you know, um, in states where there are simply a list. I mean, my, my point of view is you've just relegated your doctor to a monkey, um, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my job then becomes, um, do you have something and is it on this list? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure you really need me to figure that out. Um, but here in Massachusetts, really those conditions, which, you know, include HIV and AIDS and MS and sort of all the things that you would expect that list to, to include, really are examples of what it is that the spirit of the law had intended for us to be treating. But it allows us as physicians to, to get in there and say, well, you know, PTSD isn't on the list, but that's fine because PTSD certainly meets the criteria severe and debilitating in certain circumstances and cannabis works very well for it so we will go ahead and treat you uh chronic pain isn't on the list but quite frankly chronic pain is very wonderfully receptive to cannabis so you know that would be my number one you know the number one presenting complaint to me is pain in one sort of of another now, uh, so I think it, that that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's a, that's something that all of these uh, medical cannabis laws should have. And I love the point you make about a doctor just being, you know, somebody that's checking something off of a list rather than actually having a relationship with the patient and being able to determine that cannabis is good for the condition they have, regardless of what the list says. Has there been any pushback from the your your health board, your your medical board in in Massachusetts regarding this, or or any physicians who've been counseled about being loose with the recommendations? Um, I guess there's been a little bit. Um, we've seen a couple of newspapers get a hold of the statistics from the Department of Health here, um, you know, and they say things like, look, um, uh, you know, the way that the, the statistics are done is that they count all of the, the people who fall into the uh, diagnoses that are on the list, and then everything else is other. And so they say that the newspaper said things like, well, look, 90 percent of patients fall into this other category. So clearly the system is being abused. But it didn't take very long for everyone to go. No, it's not being abused. It's just that, you know, there are only eight conditions on the list and they're fairly infrequent. You know, they're they're low incidence. Uh, Thank goodness, for example, for MS. Um, We just don't have that many. MS victims, uh, but lots of chronic pain, and that doesn't necessarily mean that there's abuse going on. So I think there, you know, that quickly passed, and then there was, um, there were a few 
physicians, you know, I think every state wrestles a little bit with there are going to be some physicians who um, don't uh, view this in with the seriousness that it should. And so we get into, you know, the card mill. And there are there is, you know, one particular group here um, whom I certainly won't call out by name, but they're, you know, more apt to um, give cards to patients um, uh, with with less indication and uh, and and not follow them particularly closely and such like that. And so a few of their providers kind of got called out for having you know thousands of patients under their name as opposed to sort of the rest of the gang, which had sort of you know hundreds of patients under their name or even low thousands. And so that that created some friction and there was some discussion. But ultimately, even that has. Um, has not really panned out, you know, to be a big issue. We certainly don't have a ton of providers in the state, but, you know, it's my contention that part of that is um, based around uh, this sort of bad assumption that I think has rolled out nationally um, from the original California model, which sort of implies that any doctor, most importantly the primary care folks, are going to take this on. And uh, I think that in reality, when you think about it, primary care providers have 15 minutes with a patient to discuss their medical care from top to bottom, head to toe, inside and out, right? And, and they're barely kind of holding their nose above the waterline doing that. So to introduce a complex new medication uh, that requires not only a knowledge base that they don't readily have, but also um, a lot of um, uh, hand-holding and advising for patients, at least under an ideal circumstance, um, I think that's just sort of a non-starter. And by contrast, uh, my practice, I don't do anything other than cannabis medicine in that visit, and I spend an entire hour with each new patient. So, you know, contrast that with the primary care doctors, you can see that that's really untenable for them. And what I do is I spend a lot of my time speaking to my colleagues. um, It's it's largely why I started my practice um, to provide them with enough education that they could feel comfortable having patients on medical cannabis, but not necessarily do the medical cannabis themselves, but rather to say, look, now I understand the indications. Now I understand what it means for these patients to be on this medicine, and I'm not afraid of it but I don't have the wherewithal and the time to do this, but it's great because my buddy, Dr. Tischler does this, so I refer. And so it's really become, I think, in my view, very much more of a specialty of medicine than this idea that just anybody's gonna handle it. We're speaking with Dr. Jordan Tischler, MD. He's a cannabis specialist at inhalemd.com in the Boston area and throughout. Is it just Massachusetts at this point? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I've been trying to expand my reach for the sake of patients who are, you know, need it. And so in Massachusetts is the only place I can actually write the recommendation, but I do do online consultation with patients all the time across the country in which I can at least, you know, educate them 
uh, on a real science-based uh, approach that then, you know, they can go in their local community and get somebody to provide them the recommendation, which, you know, may or may not, as the state of things uh, exists now, in, uh, include the kind of in-depth um, counseling that really should be part and parcel of any uh, physician interaction around this stuff. So, yes, we have a bit of a national reach then. That's that's good to hear. Now, in an earlier email, you discussed with me some of the topics we might talk about, and you got one that, that really caught my attention, and that is <laughs> one that might be a little controversial, and it's how you mentioned you don't care so much about strains of cannabis when it comes to medical use, but more dosage and uh, a route. So uh, it, are, are we not to check for sativa or indica or purple kush or whatever we particularly like? I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I think you just, first of all, I knew that was a subject you were going to gravitate to, so I put it in there advisedly. I think that, you know, you just you just hit the nail on the head, which you said, you know, purple kush or whatever we might like. And I think that that's really the issue. When I think about um, strains, I don't think, I'm not suggesting that they aren't different. I'm suggesting that in most circumstances, those differences are more about preference than they are about medical outcome. Mm. Okay. And that's a bit of a, 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 you know, a splitting of hairs. But when I look at the response to treatment and, uh, and, and get the feedback from my patients, what I'm finding is that the strain just doesn't seem to be as important as other factors. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that the strains don't make you feel different. But in some ways, it becomes more a question of whether you like orange lollipops or grape lollipops, but they're all lollipops, so you're going to get the benefit of the lollipop. All right. That's a fair point, and I really appreciate you elaborating on that. Uh, another issue that's of great import these days, especially in the Northeast, New England area, the uh, opiate overdose epidemic. Jeff Sessions, our attorney general, keeps bringing it up. A lot of people keep bringing this up, and I just want to get your take on it and how cannabis uh, could and would help in that regard. I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, uh, not the opiates, but the cannabis, Um I, you know, I spent 15 years being an emergency room physician. God knows I saw plenty of opiate addiction and opiate overdose. Um, and, you know, I've always known myself and had a reputation for being quite stingy with opiates um, during my time there, uh, largely because I had seen the troubles that they could cause. And uh, but at the same time, I think it's very, very important for us to understand that when it comes to pain, there aren't a whole lot of choices for treatment. If you really think about it, um, there's Tylenol, right, which is in a class by itself. And then there's um, what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, which includes Motrin and, and Naproxen and all those sorts of things. And then there are opiates. And really, that's all you got, unless you can bring in cannabis, which thankfully now more and more we can. And what we found is that, number one, for chronic pain, opiates aren't really particularly very good. They may be better than nothing, but they're not particularly effective. And when you compare them head-to-head for mild to moderate pain, at least, um, you find that cannabis is equally effective, and we know that it's far safer. So to my thinking, it's crazy not to choose the safer option. Absolutely. we have all this have all this history we have to get past and i think we're very very slowly going in that direction um and you know a lot of the stuff that 
um, is inhibiting that at this point is either, you know, um, ignorance, um, you know, which we can overcome or some sort of more willful thing, uh, as in the case perhaps of Mr. Sessions, who seems to, um, uh, you know, benefit or, or seems like he is in favor of the, you know, for-profit uh, prison system and uh, et cetera, where there are really benefits from this continued kind of drug war behavior. One final question, Dr. Tischler, uh, with uh, medical cannabis, it's not a one size fits all sort of situation. Are there any sorts of products you don't recommend to certain patients? You know, I, yes, absolutely. I think that one of the issues that, that always seems to be uh, a problem is the industry kind of wagging the dog here. And um, so I think that there are lots and lots of folks out there that are very well-intentioned um, and maybe per- relying more on their own experience and have developed things, uh, <clears throat> products that, that, you know, when we actually study them, don't seem to pan out very well. Um, so, you know, um, sublingual absorption uh, of homebrew tincture doesn't seem to absorb very well. Um, uh, orally ingested uh, cannabis oils we know aren't particularly well absorbed. Um, on the other hand, edibles, oddly enough, tend to be very well absorbed, comparatively speaking. But my baseline is to aim uh, in most conditions for some sort of um, inhaled cannabis. And notice that I say inhaled and not smoked because I don't recommend smoking, um, even though the data is somewhat reassuring in that regard. But I think that, you know, vaporized whole flour uh, is a good starting point for most illnesses. Um, and then sometimes we add an oral, meaning an edible or something to that effect. But things like um, the tinctures, as I've mentioned, uh, topicals, we know that very, very little uh, um, absorption through the skin, um, unless, of course, you do something very pharmacologic to it, like add uh, detergents like DMSO, which then kind of makes me question why you're going there in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there, are, there are things I, I think are very effective, and then there are things that I think, you know, are more kind of like a product in search of a need. Mm. Well, thank you for your perspectives on that. We appreciate it. Dr. Jordan Tischler, MD, is a cannabis specialist at InhaleMD.com in Massachusetts. Appreciate you coming on the show, and we hope to talk to you again sometime. Thanks, Russ. Great to talk with you. Take care. All right, folks, stay tuned. We've got a radical rant coming up next. Once again, boiled, beaten, choked, and shot, and the cops get away with it again. That, of course, a recorded interview with Dr. Jordan Tischler, so we've got a different rant coming up. It's on the things that are less harmful than marijuana in the state of Idaho. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. But I'm getting some very negative reports coming out of Colorado as to what's happening. Okay, well, maybe you're high, too. 
Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Total war against public enemies, number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was the point. I think we made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. The state of Idaho is surrounded. To the west and the southwest lie Washington, Oregon, and Nevada, where marijuana is legal. To the east and north lie Montana and Canada, where medical marijuana is legal, and in Canada, recreational is soon to be legal. To the southeast lie Wyoming and Utah, where cannabidiol oil is legal. So with the soon-to-be-signed legislation in West Virginia legalizing medical use of pharmaceuticalized cannabinoids, Idaho remains in a shrinking pool of just five absolute prohibition states. Now, a little history for you. Idaho's Senate in 2013 infamously passed this resolution declaring that marijuana shall never, ever, ever, never be legal for any purposes ever for nobody, no how, no way, ever. Yes, it was already illegal for everybody, but they just want to make absolutely sure. In 2015, though, they reversed themselves in the Idaho Senate and they passed a cannabidiol oil law after all the, you know, epileptic kids got a lot of attention on the TV, only to have their Republican governor and adorable gay sea mammal Butch Otter become the only governor to veto healing epileptic kids with a non-psychoactive marijuana derivative. So Idaho Governor Butch Otter stands in the way of helping sick kids. And in his veto statement of Senate Bill 1146A, the cannabidiol oil bill, he wrote, quote, While we acknowledge the compassionate interests of the CBD oil bill, list of negative outcomes associated with this bill will be extensive. In our quest to relieve suffering, it is vital that we ensure the solutions employed do not exacerbate the health problems of the critically ill or decrease the public safety. This bill has the potential to do both. End quote. So, I bring this up because I'm headed to Idaho this weekend to speak at the Boise Hemp Fest. And I've spoken before about how Idaho is one of only four states that punishes marijuana consumers even if they aren't possessing any marijuana. In Idaho, marijuana is considered so dangerous that merely being under the influence of marijuana in public is a misdemeanor for which the maximum penalty is a $1,000 fine and six months in jail. Idaho Code Section 37-2732C, subparagraph B. And you get caught 
high in public three times within five years, you get 120 days in jail, mandatory minimum, with a possible one-year maximum. That's code 37-2732C, subparagraph C. So I thought that was quite interesting that being high in public is so dangerous in Idaho. It's such a crime that we got to give you a criminal record, lock you up for six months, take $1,000 of your money. So I was wondering what other class B misdemeanors are equivalent to being high in public? What other crimes could you commit for which the maximum penalty is a $1,000 fine and six months in jail? Well, I I did some research today because, you know, me, I look shit up. According to Idaho Section 18-8005, you can get six months and a $1,000 fine for first-time DUI. That's right. Merely being high in public, which, by the way, if I go to Idaho... I'm high in public. The law is specifically about being under the influence of marijuana. And since I will have smoked pot legally in Oregon the day before, there will still be active THC in my bloodstream. Now, I I won't be under the influence to the point where I can't think or talk or move or act, right? I won't be what any rational person would call under the influence. But according to the law... With active THC in my bloodstream, I will be under the influence. I will be committing a misdemeanor in the state of Idaho. And as as will anybody who has smoked pot recently. <laughs> if any, any of you people that smoke pot uh, come out to listen to me speak out in the park, you're in public, you got active THC in your system, that's crime. That's a misdemeanor that gets you the same punishment as first-time DUI. Or... You could get the same punishment for being high in public in Idaho as punching someone in the face. Idaho Code 18-904. Simple assault, as long as the person's not pregnant and it's not a, a hate crime of any kind. You just randomly walk up and punch someone in the face. You get the same crime as being high in public. How about at the college level, right? You get your high at your at Boise State University. You could get the same misdemeanor crime as hazing incoming freshmen, you know, like forcing them to, you know, strip naked and shoot bottle rockets out of their ass or do something sexually humiliating or whatever. Same penalty, six months, $1,000 fine. Let's say that somebody's got a locked door. There's a locked door somewhere and you don't have access to it. You're not granted. You're not, you don't have permission to access that door, but you fashion yourself a key. You make a fake key. You you make a counterfeit key to break into that door. That's the same penalty as being high in public. Yep, six months, thousand dollar fine. How about not breaking into someone's door? How about you hack into someone's computer? Not to cause any damage or anything. Not to steal any of their photos or or ruin their website or anything like that. You just unauthorized access. You you broke into someone's computer. Same penalty, same kind of crime, being high in public, breaking into someone's computer, same crime in Idaho. Six months, $1,000 fine, misdemeanor record. Oh, you know how the GOP is always talking about voter fraud, you know, intentionally misrepresenting yourself, fraudulently voting in the state of Idaho. Same crime as being high in public. 
The fact that I smoked weed legally in Oregon the day before makes me as much a criminal as if I purposefully tried to illegally vote in Idaho. Or let's say there's a, there's a, there's a trial coming up. Let's say there's a trial coming up. Someone's going to uh, testify against me, and I go and threaten them. I go intimidate them. I go to try to force them to recant their testimony. Intimidating witness, same crime as being high in public. Six months, $1,000 fine, misdemeanor record. And finally, the other one that I found, uh, first time driving without a license. You're caught driving a car without a license. Same crime as if we catch you high in public. So as you can see, Idaho finds being high on marijuana to be such a danger that the the governor, Butch Otter, dared not allow epileptic kids to use a form of marijuana that doesn't get them high. Meanwhile, the governor has signed on to or accepts or refuses to veto all sorts of laws to allow Idahoans to legally perform the following actions that are considered less harmful than being high in public. These things you can do legally in the state of Idaho, and therefore they must be less harmful, must be less harmful than me smoking weed in Oregon and then crossing the river into Idaho. Uh, For example, I could carry a concealed firearm, a loaded handgun. I could conceal a handgun on my person with no training, with no permit, and I can take it anywhere in Idaho except a prison or school. That's safer than me smoking weed in Oregon and then being, you know, in public in Idaho. I can uh, ride a motorcycle without a helmet. And if I'm on the freeway between Ontario, Oregon and Boise, Idaho, and the, the first 20 miles of that freeway where it's 80 miles an hour on the freeway, I'm allowed to pass another vehicle without a helmet on. On my motorcycle, I'm allowed to pass another vehicle at up to 94 miles per hour. And every speeding charge is based on that 94 and higher, so it would take up to 109 miles per hour before I'd get a reckless driving charge. That is safer in Idaho than being high in public. There was a story about uh, this kid who got poisoned. Uh, He's sick and his dog got killed. Because of a spring-loaded cyanide spraying trap meant for wolves, he set it off, it killed his dog, severely injured him. Those are safer in the state of Idaho. Those are allowed, those are legal, but not being high in public. Idaho allows untrained, unlicensed 19-year-old bartenders. No license, no training, Uh, you just want to sling alcohol. Perfectly legal. But you can't be high in public. You are allowed to buy, in the state of Idaho, explosive fireworks that are banned in the state of Idaho. I am serious. You are allowed to go to a place they literally have a blue floor and a red floor in these expl- in these fireworks places. The blue floor is the safe and sane legal fireworks you can use in Idaho. The red floor is all the explosive shit that you can't use in Idaho, but they'll let you buy it. That's legal, but not being high in public. And finally, jumping off the 486-foot Perrine Bridge over the Snake River Canyon, the Evil Knievel jumps, that's legal without a permit, but not being high in public. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. All right, that's all the time we got for our podcast listeners. For those of you watching live on RadicalRust.com on YouTube, stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. I'll tell you more about Idaho Governor Butch Otter. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.